A reading from the Gospel of Luke. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do you not set your heart, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink? Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in prayer, would you? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a revealing God. We thank you for truth that you speak. And we pray now that you would take this good gospel word and make it live in our lives. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Every day it seems that uh, we see increasingly We read about terrible things going on in the world. We read and see people drowning, burned, or earthquaked out of their homes, splashed all over our televisions and our media feeds, our sobbing children and grieving parents and bloodied soldiers and civilians. If we didn't already know, we know it that we are frail creatures, as Proverbs says, born to trouble as sparks fly upward. But if you're a Christian, as soon as you follow Jesus Christ, you sidestep all of those troubles. You enter into a life of unalloyed bliss and joy, don't you? (laughs) I hope you pick up a little sarcasm in that. Of course not. To be a Christian is not to be immune to all those troubles. The Christian circumstances are are no better than anybody else's, and it's so important for us to understand this, because if we're going to experience the joy, the peace that is on offer in Jesus, we need to recognize what Jesus says, in this life you will have trouble. During this season of Lent, we're looking at some of those troubles that we experience as Jesus walks towards the cross, and we're learning from Jesus about how He engages those troubles and how we might engage those troubles. And it's so important for us to do because there's, 
I'd say a heresy that some Christians teach or implicitly believe that if we love and serve God, then we will not have bad things or maybe not as many bad things happen to us as others. And that's just not true. Horrible things happen to people who believe in God. Believing in, loving, and serving God will not keep those things from happening to us. But what does distinguish the Christian in this life is a posture that we are able to hold, a power by which we are able to live and walk through those troubles. And Jesus teaches about that very real posture and power in this passage where he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry. The reality of being overcome and undone by the worries is an actual thing that we can enjoy. We do not have to endure. We can know peace and joy. We can know freedom from worry despite all the troubles that we face. That is a real thing. Now at the front end, we need to do just a little work on what worry is not, because I fear that sometimes we can load into Jesus' words here, these instructions about not worrying, all sorts of things that are not meant to be included. So first of all, I think we need to clearly distinguish out from worry disorders like anxiety and panic attacks. For many of us, those are real physiological disorders, mental health problems, like social anxiety disorders, panic attacks, where our fears tend to spiral out of control, where it feels like I cannot press a pause button on my thoughts. They just keep coming, where you can sometimes physically feel the anxiety in your body. Those, those are real disorders that need clear medical attention, okay? Um, and so we want to clearly distinguish those from what Jesus is talking about here. And that, I, that's just a quick reminder, too, that we've developed, as we walk through this whole uh, series on troubles we face, we've developed a, 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 just, a, I guess, a theology of mental health, because we don't recognize that that's a live issue. So if, if that's something you'd like to explore, it's available on our website and available um, at the information table. It's called Mental Health in the Body of Christ. But all that to say, we need to distinguish those uh, disorders of social anxiety, of panic attacks, from what Jesus is talking about here as worry. A second, this is not worry distinction, is to realize that worry, what Jesus is talking about, and healthy care and concern, they are not the same thing either. To fear absolutely nothing, to have absolutely no care or concern, that is not a your faith. That's actually often foolishness. There are many things that we rightly give our care and attention to. Managing our money wisely and well, assessing risks, protecting our children and our families, taking care of our bodies, planning out how we, we might best use our gifts, our skills, and experience in our careers to bless the world. That is good planning. That is good concern and preparation. Jesus' words to not worry should never be taken as an abdication of responsibility or concern. It's, it's not an absence of that. I think T.S. Eliot, in his poem, Ash Wednesday, uh, captured it with a simple line where he says, teach us to care and not to care. 
Teach us to care, Jesus. Teach us how we might demonstrate an appropriate concern and compassion. Teach us, Jesus, to be wise in stewarding our lives, the one life you have given us. But at the same time, Jesus, teach us not to care. Teach us to know where there is a limit to what I can do, to, con to the concern that I can extend. Free us, Jesus, from useless anxiety, from taking the world upon my shoulders. Teach us to care and teach us not to care. Worry, interestingly, is, is that which we do after we have planned and prepared and acted properly. Worry is when we cross that line into, cross that line from being responsible into a disproportionate level of concern that we have based on an inappropriate measure of fear we experience. Worry is a special form of fear. Worry is a fear that comes into your life and unpacks its bags and signs a long-term lease on your life. Look at how Jesus puts it here in verses 29 to 30. Jesus says, do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Do not worry about it. The pagan world runs after such things. Do not set your heart on these things. Have you set your heart hopes on something that you think you believe will provide meaning and security that you need to protect and care for and nurture? Of course, we all have something to worry about sometimes when there's a need, when there's a crisis, but is that excessive concern, that inappropriate, is it a pattern in your life? Do you run after these things? Have you set your heart on them? Worrying is this setting our hearts on something beyond our control, our capacity to influence. Worry is this inordinate care and concern that can grip our lives, it skews our vision of reality, and it blocks our trust of God. Which makes you wonder, why are we so prone to worry? Why is worrying actually such a compelling thing for so many people? Why are we so inclined to do it? Here's the age-old secret behind worry. We want to be in control. We want to control things. In verse 30, Jesus says this, the pagans run after these things, but you have a father. Jesus says the reason we get bent out of shape and worried and excessively about so many things is we're acting as if we do not have a heavenly Father who cares for us, who extends concern, who provides for us. We're forgetting who this God is. You're forgetting who the real God is, and you're acting as if that role now falls to you. Our worrying is actually an aspiration to divine attributes. It's an aspiration. We are aspiring to that role of God or at least to some of the qualities of God. We're trying to be God, and that's why we get worried so often. Jesus names two of them here. If you're worried, you're trying like crazy to be omnipotent and omniscient. In verse 25, he says, don't you see that worry cannot change a thing? You cannot add an hour to your life. We can't add any length of time to our lives. We can't add an inch to our height. 
What he's saying is, listen, you're not in control of these things. That is not within your power. You don't have control. You've never been in control. It's not luck. It's not hard work that's brought you to the place you are. Through your worry, you're trying to control the world. Through your worry, you're trying to get things to happen in a certain way or on a certain schedule that you think is right and appropriate. And Jesus says, you know what? That's just actually never happened. You don't have that kind of power. And not only do we try to be omnipotent like God, but Jesus says we also try to be omniscient. It says in verse 30, everyone else is running after these things, but your Father knows. Your Father knows. If you're worried today, if you're worried about anything, think about this. Perhaps the basis of your worry is you think you know better. You know how history should go. You know how your life should go. You know exactly what should happen to your life for you to enjoy a good life. So often the reason we are worried is that we are absolutely convinced that we know how things should go. But the beautiful freeing gospel truth is this. You are not God. We are not God. And do you see how useless worry is? I've heard some people call worry useless anxiety. I think that's an apt phrase. There is a care, there is a concern that we can exercise that is productive, right? And it moves us to plan wisely, to manage our life well. But there is a worry that is useless. What does it accomplish? Worry so often robs me of joy. It makes me more self-preoccupied, less attentive to others, less loving towards others. It makes temptations look really attractive because I'd rather have that than some of the grief or insecurity I feel right now. It erodes my ability to feel grateful. It increases irritability. It destroys an appetite for growth. It's miserable what worry does. Betty and I had a clear sense of this. We, our two children are adopted. Owen and Lily are adopted children. And in the process of adopting children, three months before our firstborn, our son Owen was born, we were chosen by his birth mother to be the adoptive parents of Owen. And so we met his birth mother. Her name was Ashley. And we discussed all our plans. And, you know, we were over the moon. It was so good. We were anticipating, you know, having a family thinking about decorating the nursery, imagining what new life with a baby would be like. And then then this dark thought crept in. What if she changes her mind? Because birth mothers have that right. After they give birth, there's a period of time in which a birth mother can change her mind, even though she may have signed a legal document uh, at birth. What if she changes her mind? And I can recall just the dark anxiety that filled my heart, the bitterness, the anger. I wasn't even able to enjoy the possibility that we might have a child. Gratitude just drained away. Joy evaporated. We had no proof that that would be the outcome. We didn't, we had the birth mother's commitment to us. She was so resolute. She said, I am committed to you and to the good of this child. But We worried about this outcome that we had no control over. 
But the Spirit of God so gently helped us and helped us to see, you know, we could live these next three months waiting for that child. We could worry about that scenario that may or may not come true. And we could be miserable for the next three months, absolutely miserable. We would miss the joy, the anticipation of bringing a child into our home. We would worry so much. But the thought that the Spirit brought to mind is, would, the worry, would your worrying lessen any of the devastation you would feel if that scenario played out? And as we thought about it, you know, we thought, let's say we didn't worry, and the birth mother changed her mind. We would be devastated. And let's say we worried the whole time and were miserable, and the birth mother changed her mind. We would be equally devastated. The outcome would be the same, and so our sense of loss would be equal whether we worried about it or not. And the Spirit seemed to say, so why on earth would you give yourself over to that sort of worry? We realize that all our worry about a, possibly, a possible scenario is just useless. Not only useless, but it was destructive. And as we were able to let it go, we shifted the focus of our attention and we're able to move towards trust in God, to trust, okay, God, I, I believe you have good plans for us. So I trust that you are in this process over which we have no control. It was a beautiful shift in focus. So those three months were not actually misery. They were joy-filled. And this is what Jesus does here in this passage, shifting us, moving us from worry to heal from our worry. Jesus redirects our attention. And he says, consider the ravens. Now, it's interesting, this translation uses ravens. Ravens were sort of the bottom of the bird world. Uh, Not real nice, attractive birds, right? Ravens, not eagles, you know, not some really, just ravens. But Jesus says, consider the ravens and how God cares for them. Consider the lilies. Jesus is saying, would you shift the attention away from yourself? Would you look around at the utter abundance on display in the world? Look at the God who lavishes such care on a bottom feeder bird. Look at how extravagantly God showers beauty on a flower of the field that is here today and gone tomorrow. And then twice Jesus uses a key phrase, how much more? How much more? Can you lodge that phrase in your heart? How much more valuable are you than birds? How much more will God provide for you than the flowers of the field? The God who created you, who knows you by name, this magnificent God who sits at the center of the universe and he is in utter control of that universe, it means that this universe is a perfectly safe place for you and I to be in. This totally good and utterly competent God is looking after us, is caring for us. God is not absent from your life. He is not aloof or unaware of your needs. We live in a God-permeated world where even birds, lowly birds get cared for and flowers that are here for a week or so and then gone are adorned with such utter beauty and extravagance. So how much more will God shower on you and your life goodness? That is a truth we've got to sink just deep into our hearts. It's got to capture our imagination. It's got to guard and guide our thought life. And when we do, when that does happen, 
as we seek first God's kingdom, we find in God the treasure of our hearts, there is this inner rest of soul that comes upon us, a lasting peace of heart. When we are able to place our identities in in the never-changing hands of God, when we place our well-being on the sure foundation of God's promise to meet our every need, we'll find peace, even when the situations and relationships and circumstances around us feel very broken and troubled. And in saying this, you know, Jesus is not some positivity guru. He's not blowing sunshine here. Jesus is the master of reality. And what he's doing, he is not negating the troubles. He's not denying those things we face. But what he's doing is he's setting them within a larger framework, a larger frame of God's provision for us. And this is a vital part of what the Christian faith does for us. It never denies our troubles, but it reframes all that trouble and suffering within a bigger framework of God's presence and reality. Because here's, in our culture, you know, we are trained, we are groomed. Almost every impulse directs us to get away from pain and suffering as quickly and as far as possible, to avoid it at all costs. That barely, I think the barely under-the-surface expectation is that a normal life for everyone is a trouble-free life. And so we are driven to worry because we believe that is the life we should be living. And I'm not living that life right now, so what is going wrong? And we're compelled to worry. When Jesus says, do not worry, it's not a promise that those who love God were have better circumstances. Remember, he said, in this world, you will have trouble, real troubles. And take note, Jesus is not saying those troubles are actually good things. Surprise! No, no, no. Jesus hates death. He hates loneliness and loss and alienation and suffering. He hates it so much that he became willing to enter into this world of trouble and suffering, taking it all himself so eventually he could destroy it without destroying us. The promise, the promise of Jesus is that in all those troubles, God is actually working out good. In this world you will have troubles, Jesus says, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. Like that is no sweetness and sunshine view from the Christian faith, right? That, that is just a fresh look at the real lives we live. The promise is not that if you love God, good things are going to happen to your life. The promise is not that if you love God, oh, suddenly the bad things, actually they're not bad. Surprise, they're good. No, no, no. The promise is that God will take the bad things, the real bad things we experience, and he will transform them, work them to work good for us. The promise is that God can take things like a loss of a job or the breakup of a relationship or the death of a family member and reach into that painful loss and transform it and extract good for us. Because isn't this what Jesus has been doing all along? Remember who it is we follow. We follow a suffering Savior, a Savior who knew trouble, who embraced the cross, and who through the pain of the cross, all of what is broken and wrecked and distorted gets set right again. And as Christians, because of the cross, we realize that there is redemptive hope and transformation even in suffering. 
And you know, here's where we need to submit ourselves to some wider teaching of the church. Here's where the wisdom of the black church has to inform our theology. Because the black church are people who have endured slavery, they have endured segregation, they have endured deep economic disparity, systemic racism, personal atrocities, and yet, in spite of it all, they almost never doubted the goodness of God in all those things and His ability to make a way out of no way. And so inspired by the cross of Jesus Christ Himself, black Christians have held to the hope that God works through the sufferings of His people to bring about redemptive transformation, that God still has a way of wringing good out of evil. Here's the beautiful hope. There is There is no earthly situation that has the power to put you outside of God's care and provision. And so those who hold on to this wild hope of our caring, providing God can say certain things. And so in our very right minds, with the the, the most sane and solid self we have, we can confess like we sung earlier, this is my Father's world. And so let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. And in our most sane and solid self, we can confess we trust God so much that we do not doubt that he will provide whatever we need for body or soul, and he will turn to our good whatever adversity he sends us in this sad world. And he's able to do this because he's almighty God, but he loves to do this because he's our loving father, which means we can be patient when things go against us. We can be thankful when life seems to go well. And for the future, we can have such good confidence in our faithful God, knowing that nothing will separate us from his love in Jesus Christ. Here's the faith of those who follow Jesus who do not worry. Because of our loving Father who is sovereign over all things, We believe that all our bad things turn to good. Our good things are never lost, and our best is yet to come. And the only way we get to that place is to be loved out of our anxiety and our worry. Is to be loved out of that anxiety and worry. You know what? When my kids wake up at night, not so much anymore, they're older, but when they were young and they would wake up screaming in the middle of the night because of a bad dream or who knows what spooked them, you know, you don't talk to them very rationally at the moment. No, 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 there's no monsters. Come on. No. You hold them in your arms. You cradle them. And you tell them how much you're loved and how much they're cared for. You hold them and they forget about the monsters. We are loved by God out of our anxiety and worry. We are free from our worry as we're able to renew ourselves in the love that God has for us. So let me close with two ways that I want to encourage you, two ways in which we participate in that renewal of ourselves through the love, experiencing the love of God. One way that I think is so critical is we need to learn how to talk to our hearts. See, here's the thing. You can either talk to your heart or you can listen to your heart. And you're going to do one of those things and it's going to lead you in very different directions. If you listen to your heart, you're going to probably worry a whole lot because your heart is going to say, oh my goodness, 
Do you know the stuff I'm facing this week? Oh my goodness, come on, look at these circumstances I'm facing. This is horrible. If you listen to your heart, you know, right? Your heart says that. Our hearts do that repeatedly. It goes all day long. You can sit and listen to your heart and you're going to get more anxious and you're going to worry. Or you can talk to your heart. And you think, what's that about? Psalm 42, you can see exactly how this plays out. Throughout the Psalms, it's interesting how David does this. We read about David speaking to his own heart. Psalm 42, David is depressed, and he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Who is he talking to? He's talking to himself, right? He's speaking to his own heart. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. And what he's doing, instead of listening to his heart, he's speaking to his heart, he's talking to it. He's saying, no, 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 think about this. Think about the hope you have in God. Forget about all those concerns you might think. Don't forget about who it is who made you. Don't forget who it is who saved you. Think. Talk to your heart. Worrying is listening to your heart. Peace comes from talking to your heart. But it comes from telling your heart the truth. Peace comes from talking to your heart about who you are in Christ. Speak to your heart with the truth. God loves you. Tell your heart that. God is with me. He will never forsake me. He will never abandon me. He will never leave me. God will guide me. I am never alone. This is how we do this. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians, do not worry, but in everything, in prayer and petitions, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In prayer, while we're speaking to God, we're also speaking to our hearts as well. The word guard in that passage, interesting, it's a military term. It's soldiers who stood guard to protect cities. When we give our worries to God, Instead of speaking them to our hearts, when we speak them to God, God promises to guard our hearts, that the peace of God will be like a sentry around our hearts. And maybe one of our goals can be, as we consider worry in our lives, how about we shorten the lag time from the appearance of worry to the time we pray? Can we shorten that lag time? I don't know about you, but sometimes I can worry and I'll dwell on it and it'll be like an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours a day. That's a long lag time. How about as soon as we experience that worry, we pray it through immediately. We shorten that lag time between when we experience worry and when we pray it. And then another thing. So talk to your heart. Pray this to God. Then another thing, worship. What we do here, again, is so vital. Worship is another way in which we challenge worry because worry is this absorption in myself, in my concerns, in my fears. It is preoccupied attention to myself. But what worship does is, again, it redirects our attention. And in worship, we are directed towards God and we focus our attention on God, on who he is. We delight in God's promises. We revel in the goodness. We declare the power of God for our lives. We fill our minds and imaginations with the reality of God. And so worship then moves us from worry to wonder. It shifts us from anxiety to adoration. That's the beauty of what we do here. We're going to pray now, and 
Before we do, I just want to bring your attention to a little slip of paper. I hope you found it in your bulletin. Pull it out for a minute, would you? Sometimes what you have to do with your worries is you literally have to give them to Jesus. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a moment to write down on these slips of paper what worries occupy your hearts and imaginations today. What one, two, three worries are you carrying around? Maybe it's about your job, it's about your studies, it's about a child or a parent, it's about your health, about your marriage. Take a moment and think about what is the heaviest worry that you're carrying in your heart and write it down on this piece of paper. Because during the offering, what we're going to do is along with our gifts that we're giving to Jesus, we're going to give our worries to him. We're going to just place this in the offering plate and say, Jesus, here's my resources, yes, but here's my worries. You are the God who is in control of all things. You can take this. You can handle this. It is beyond my capacity. It's yours, Jesus. Very literally, we want to give Jesus our worries. So let's take a moment right now to do that, would you? We're going to have a moment of quiet. I'm going to pray then. And then we'll gather the offering up, and you can place not only your gifts, but then also this sheet of paper. No one's going to look at them later on. This is something only between you and God. So take a moment now and just write down, what are the worries of your heart? Let's take a moment to pray together. Strong, beautiful, generous, giving God. We celebrate the reality that this world is permeated with your presence, that this world is governed and guided by your strong, wise, loving hands. Lord, we picture this beautiful, vulnerable planet, Earth, held in your hand. You are the one caring for it, and you know and see every person, every living being on this planet. They are not far from your care. We thank you for that lavish, elaborate care that we see all around us, God. Thank you for giving us this offer of peace. We want that peace, that joy, that buoyancy of spirit to fill our lives that is on offer in Jesus. And so, God, we ask now that you take our worries. These things we've written down or maybe things that we still kept in our hearts, God, we give them to you, literally. We do not want them. We do not want them plaguing our lives, dominating our imaginations, sucking out the life of the, from our living, draining us of joy. We want to live in the perfectly safe place of your hands. And so we give you these worries. You are God. We are not. Take these worries. We entrust them into your care. Teach us, God, what it means for us to be joyful, thankful people, even when troubles fill our lives. Let us know, God, that 
even in the troubles we face, your goodness is near us. You are at work shaping our lives, working good in us. And so, God, we gladly give you these worries, recognizing you are mighty God and loving Father. Take these worries and free us to live in your peace and your joy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.